What up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 221 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I replay for you episode 79 with Andrew Henderson from Nomad Capitalist. What I like about Andrew and his story, and like many of the other people that I interview for Misfits and Rejects, is that he lives it. Meaning that he walks the walk, talks the talk, puts his money where his mouth is, and actually lives the lifestyle that he's preaching about through his channel, Nomad Capitalist. He's a big believer in the saying, go where you are treated best. That means taking your money, moving it to locations around the world where the tax benefits are friendliest, in combination with places that welcome people who want to start businesses, and they make it less difficult for you to actually live the lifestyle you want, run the business that you want, and give you the best incentives to utilize the country's resources, employ their citizens, and he helps seven and eight figure entrepreneurs find the best location in the world to obtain second passports, to register their businesses. And it's really cool to watch him in his YouTube videos on Instagram describing the various countries around the world that he does extensive research on and then articulates why he thinks it's best for a specific reason and then how him and his team can help you find the best combination of places to really benefit you and your bottom line within your lifestyle and business. It was funny re-listening to this episode because I remembered when I recorded, I was in Nicaragua, I was running a surf retreat, Andrew is in Tbilisi, Georgia, the country, and I had to get up at like midnight or one in the morning or something like that to actually conduct the interview. And I can remember the intro where I kind of stumble as I introduced him, it was just because I was so tired and had been surfing all day with clients and... It's funny going back to some of those older episodes, you get a little bit insecure about the sound quality or how I conducted the conversation, but Andrew's a cool dude and did a great job just coming on and telling his story. So if you're just tuning into Misfits and Rejects for the first time, please do me a solid, pull out that phone or whatever you're listening to this on and hit subscribe on whatever podcast player you're listening to this on. If you're listening to it on something like an Apple podcast player, at the end of the interview, if you like what you heard, head into the bottom and giving us a five-star rating or leaving a comment is hugely beneficial to us and helping us get ranked and found a lot easier within the algorithm that helps people who search for this type of podcast find Misfits and Rejects. And then if you want to take it a step further and support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in one of two ways. You can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop, pick up a t-shirt, or you can head over to patreon.com backslash misfitsandrejects and give a monthly donation. Whatever you want, it's all appreciated. Nothing is expected, but it certainly does help me produce these episodes and continue to deliver a new show to you every week. So thank you again for listening. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Andrew Henderson from nomadcapitalist.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm really, really happy to invite and have on the show Andrew Henderson from Nomad Capitalist, somebody I just discovered recently as I go down this rabbit hole of digital nomadry and then interviewing guys like Danny Flood and uh, Chris Reynolds from Entrepreneur House uh, kind of came across Andrew 
through their network of people that I've been researching and really found what he's doing really cool and very interesting. And with that said, Andrew, welcome to the show. My pleasure. So Andrew is now a citizen of the world. Um, he has given up his U.S. citizenship to basically, as you like to say, go where you are treated best. Is that correct? Well, those are the five magic words. Uh, it's been over 20 years now that I've heard those and I've been following them. And uh, yeah, I feel like there's always room for improvement, but I'm, I'm always improving my strategy and the way that I live. But I feel... Uh, at a really great place with the things that I've set up over these last uh, 10 or 11 years. Yeah. You've uh, just from the research I've done, it sounds like you're, you're influenced by your father. He kind of was always kind of encouraged you to go out there and search for that location in the world that kind of treated you best. Is that correct? Well, it's interesting. I mean, my parents were very interested in what was happening in the world. I think much before other people in the United States were, they were a bit ahead of their, um, their time. And, yeah, my father said, listen, um, this country, the United States, may not always be the best place, especially for someone like you who uh, says he wants to be in business. Um, this country is is probably heading on a downward trend. Other countries uh, that we see um, are on an upward trend. And he says, you don't have to be compelled to, to stay in the same place that your parents are. You don't have to stay in the same city and take care of us. You don't have to stay in the same state. You don't have to stay in the same country. Uh, and so... <laughs> Perhaps they suggested a bit more than they bargained for in, in, with the lifestyle that I have now. But uh, it was an inspiration that I think most people don't have. And when I talk to people from all around the world, when I talk to the guys from Australia and they say, uh, hey, we're taught not to even invest outside of our own city in Australia. That if you are from Adelaide and you invest in Melbourne, that you know that's like recipe for disaster. I realized that I got some pretty inspirational and pretty helpful advice early on. Um, I had to make the most of it as with anything else. It wasn't, hey, here's what you should do. It's simply a mindset that it's okay to not stay here. And I think that most people, that's what holds them back, at least initially. Right. Yeah, that's sound. Really good advice. And your parents, I guess, are still within the American system. They're still residents or citizens of the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, my, yeah, sure, my parents live in the United States. I don't really talk about what they do, but I mean, you know, they have the, what works for them and, uh, you know, they've done what works for them. Uh, I've done what works for me. And I think that, you know, you look at someone in their position, you look at someone in my position, it, it kind of proves the point that everyone has a different strategy. But I think that if you are younger, um, then there's really no excuses anymore. The excuses are all in our mind. And I think it's a, it's the best time uh, in recent history, perhaps in world history, for people to be living this kind of lifestyle. Uh, yet, uh, like so many other movements, uh, there is that great period of reticence among many people because cultural norms have to be broken. Absolutely. What was that kind of aha moment for you when you, know, you got that first taste of, I guess, freedom outside of America? You said, this is, this is what I want. This is where I want to be, which is outside of America doing exactly what I want within this world, making business, living abroad, having different citizenships. Can you describe to my audience, please, what that was like for you? Well, I think it's a series of aha moments. I, I think that you know, like life, when you do this stuff organically, uh, there's different moments that you look at. And, and, and what I've said is that, uh, you know, if, if I were guiding someone to the along the path that I've taken, it could be done a heck of a lot faster than I did it. 
kind of stumbling and bumbling along. But, you know, you meet different people along the way. You know, I had a, a relationship very early on as I was traveling uh, that really encouraged me to travel a lot more. And, and I think that if you travel and if you're an intelligent person, you just by default start to make um, assessments. I mean, I am a business person, no matter how much I try to, um, you know, focus more on other things in life. I, I'm always thinking about things from a business perspective. So when I travel, I look at opportunities. I look at why things are the way they are. And I think I did it very early on. And, you know, the aha moment was, um, you know, why are people outside of the United States more educated in many cases about the United States political and, and financial system? Um, why are things done differently in other countries than they are in the United States? Uh, and, you know, I think that what I would say now is there might be less judgment now about, hey, the U.S. does things their way. This country does things this way. Neither one may be better, but it may be better for me. Uh, and so for me, I think that I found people who were more connected, more plugged in, more opportunities. Um, you know, I think I found that very appealing early on and just continued to have the aha moments as time went on. That's really cool. So, yeah, it sounds like just following your heart, following your intuition, bumming around the world. Were you like on chicken buses having these kind of experiences? I mean, what kind of um, travel adventures have you kind of sought out? You know, were you riding your bicycle, you know, from um, Alaska to Patagonia or hitchhiking, motorcycling or what kind of can you just give me a little taste of the, the travel that you've always sought out or the adventure that you've sought out? Well, I, you know, I've been a contrarian. Um, and, and I'm pulling back on this a little bit. I'm as, you know, again, more than a decade into this, I'm, I'd like to just go and go to Santorini and have a cocktail and look out and see what everyone else uh, is going there for. But, you know, I've been a contrarian. I've gone a lot of contrarian places. And, and I guess the contrarian places 10 years ago may not be as contrarian today. You know, Cambodia, for example, is becoming more and more mainstream. I still think it's a great opportunity, but certainly a lot more people are going there. You know, Sri Lanka, I think, is one of the up-and-coming places uh, for some things. Um, you know, uh, you know, I've been to these kind of frozen conflict zones like the Transnistrias of the world. I've gone to some of the Eastern European places that may not be tourism-friendly, but, you know, can you hire people there? Can you start a business there? What are the opportunities there? Um, so those are kind of the adventures that I have. You know, I, I think that I'm, I'm best in my element, which is – uh, not a backpacking element. It's not a hostile element. Um, uh, you know, I like going places. I, I'm a, I like staying in hotels. I like evaluating things um, as an investor, as an entrepreneur. Um, so my approach is perhaps different than many digital nomads. I've, I remember being in Laos and people were making fun of me for having a monogrammed, uh, you know, Tumi suitcase when they all have these, these kind of backpacks. And I was just traveling around for six months doing a lot of business. And I just popped into Laos to meet some people and, and took a day or two off to go and do some sightseeing in the weekend. And, and it didn't really mesh that well with people, it seemed. Um, so, you know, my digital nomad, as you would say, adventures are, are likely different than a lot of other folks because, you know, I prefer to stay at the St. Regis. But um, I like to go to places that other people haven't gone to. And I think that the, those places are increasingly shrinking, which is probably a good thing. I mean, that's really cool. Like it, it's definitely a different approach in the sense that I haven't met tons of people who speak about their travel adventures and their travel experiences much like you. For me personally, it's a tremendous inspiration. I mean, designing the life that you have designed for yourself in the way you have is very interesting and cool. Um, can you share maybe your first um, company that you started outside of America um, so we can get a better taste for you know where your head was at and what you were doing? 
Sure. I mean, I started um, a number of different companies in the U.S., and, and by the time I had left for good, I had been traveling a lot, even a majority of the time when I was living there and managing these. Um, but when I left for good, they were all sold. Um, most of what I've done outside the United States has been investing in various countries. Um, we have done um, some location-independent kind of side businesses um, with foreign staff to kind of learn how different industries work. But, you know, what I found uh, is through this journey is that uh, focus is very important. I mean, when you go overseas and you're living in different cultures and you don't quite understand everything as well as you might understand your home culture, you've got to really be focused. And so I've had to gradually realize that, you know, what I'm doing at Nomad Capitalist is the most important to me. We have had this kind of lab operation where we had different businesses. We had people from all over the world working there, um, testing out different stuff. And ultimately, I just decided that, you know, for me, it's not about maximizing the profit. You know, we do very well with our core business. And I think when you focus on your core business, you do better. So for me, um, you know, when I started traveling, it was with money that I already had. It wasn't like I had to go out and start something. I was just doing Nomad Capitalist as a hobby. It became something very big, I think now the number one site of its kind. Uh, and, and as we kind of went along, I, I went back into my, my habits of running kind of other smaller businesses that I could just kind of manage as an investment and, and, and play an advisory role in and just ultimately realized I didn't want to do that. I mean, when you're dealing with people from all over the world, there is a learning curve. Um, and, and so, um, you know, really, I think for me, Nomad Capitalist is kind of the one big thing. Yeah, I know you have a new book out, uh, Nomad Capitalist. It's the Reclaiming Your Freedom with Offshore Bank Accounts, Dual Citizenship, Foreign Companies. That I get the gist of it with that. And the, the idea is just awesome that you take, you know, individuals who are kind of struggling with this and kind of guide them to a, a, a place within their personal lives and their business that they can, you know, really keep a lot of the money that they are working so hard for in, in various ways legally. And I, I really like the way that you always put that in all your videos, you know, like we're not here to like try to pull the wool over anybody guys. We're here to help guide you to, uh, well, and those days are over. I mean, I think that people think offshore and, you know, even when we go and we do some stuff, I mean, certain people are like mm, offshore, you know, I, I can't advertise on Facebook. No, I don't really want to advertise on Facebook. I've got a great business where people, you know, just, just seek me out. But, you know, if we wanted to promote the book, we can't do it um, because Facebook looked at us and, and some, you know, 23-year-old in San Francisco said, oh, you know, uh, this sounds wrong. Well, yeah, it's wrong if you just go and open up some numbered bank account and hide your money there. Don't tell anybody and don't follow the rules. What people don't understand is those options are largely gone. There really are no more numbered bank accounts. There really is no more anonymity. Um, there may be a lack of reporting in certain situations, but certainly not for U.S. citizens or EU citizens. Um, so I think that most of us who are listening to this are starting out from a position where we really need to be very careful about how we do things legally. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's very important. Is there, I mean, for me, for example, I'm, again, very intrigued and, and would love to use your services at some point. But, you know, I'm making whatever, like $20,000 a year at this point as a, um, an expat living in Nicaragua. And then at some point, hopefully, you know, traveling around the world as a digital nomad. Um, do you have any time for someone like me or is, are you only able to really help out those who can make larger investments in, in countries where you can get the types of uh, citizenship and residencies? 
Well, so I think that there's a couple of things that that are important with with nomad capitalists, and that is number one, you know, how do we legally reduce our taxes through a legal framework that actually works? Number two, how do we protect and build our freedom with things like second citizenships? And for some U.S. citizens, that may be part of a financial conversation. And then once we've done all that, perhaps we go in and make some investments. Um, and I introduce you to people who who I think are are, are smart um, to to reinvest some of that money that you saved. So, you know, if someone's making, you know, say, as you said, $20,000 a year, uh, even as a U.S. citizen, the tax consequences of that are pretty nominal. And, and I, I ask, you know, do you need to do much of anything? Now, do you want to protect your freedom with a second passport? Sure. I think that it's important, again, for me to, to focus and to say, yeah, there are places where you can go, like Nicaragua, you can spend most of your time there. Um, if you're not making very much money, there's probably not much of a tax consequence. Uh, and after you know five or seven or whatever years, you can become a citizen. And if that's the route you want to go, there's a whole industry of people who focus on that kind of um, you know slow, kind of easy and cheap uh, migration. Um, you know what I've chosen to do is is speak to the Western citizens um, who are, whom I understand because I've been there myself. You know, not the Chinese, not the Indians, not because I don't like them, because I just don't. I don't empathize as a person. I don't entirely know what they what their needs are. Um, I've chosen to work with Western citizens who are um, really in need of, of of big help, and so I think that um, you know there's strategies for them that can be implied pretty quickly, and that I'm constantly trying to hone and refine. Uh, but that's why I wrote the book because I want everyone to be able to be inspired to at least know what they need to do uh, if they are at that twenty thousand dollar level. And, you know, if, if it becomes a $220,000 level, then we have a lot more flexibility on my side. But I want everyone to at least know the information that I think for so long has been being kept from the public, uh, at least in a legal way. I mean, there's lots of guys who go out there and say things that just aren't true or that worked maybe in the 70s. And so I wanted to get the information out into everybody's hands. Um, but ultimately, I think that uh, you know, if it's a tax question, if you're not paying much tax, there's not much to do. I mean, if it's a passport question, you know, uh, there's different ways to go. And, and, you know, I try and focus on different different ways. But um, I think that answers your question. Yeah. How many passports at this point do you have? I have several. You know, the passports, the one thing people ask me all the time on YouTube. I put up passport videos. People are always asking me two things. Number one, what's that one passport you mentioned that's coming out soon? <laughs> to which I say, well, hold on. I've already told you about, you know, 20 different programs. If I only told you about the 21st one, are you actually going to go and do that one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. And, yep. and number two is, I mean, and actually I'm, I'm very proud that we have a lot of our followers who have kind of defended me uh, on this one um, where, you know, I've obtained different passports. I've talked about a couple of different ones I've obtained uh, economically. There have been others that I've obtained through different means. And, you know, it's something that I keep private, but it's several. And I think there'll be one or two more probably in the, in the near future. Uh, and then that will probably be, be it. I think once you have five or six, I think you're probably you can take a uh, you know take a powder for a while. No, absolutely. That's uh, still really cool. Like I hadn't really come across something like this for from anybody doing what you're doing online. So it's been really cool, kind of going through your YouTube videos. Um, and I follow you on Instagram as well. And it seems like you're you're on, constantly on the move. You know, being in KL, Kuala Lumpur. Um, it seems like you reside a lot in Tbilisi, Georgia. Would you consider that your residence or your permanent residence and you kind of branch out from there? Or are you just literally on the move all the time, kind of a citizen of the world? Well, 
I think that being a citizen of the world is certainly a mindset and, and saying that you can fit in in different places. I mean, I'm at that age now and, and people have been talking. It's been very heartwarming to watch people talking and commenting about the progression you know, since I started this uh, and and perhaps the more paternal side or, or the more, uh, you know, settling down side of me, I guess, has, has come out in some of my materials. But you know, uh, I think you could raise for certainly your kids to live in different places and be citizens of the world and to have different passports and to have a global education and a global mindset. What I've found for me in terms of physically living is, um, you know, the, the traveling has become more difficult, uh, I think. Um, it's become much easier in a sense, but, you know, for me as someone who wants uh, ease of operations, it's become a bit more difficult, uh, you know, even in business class. And so, um, you know, I would like a little bit less of the moving around. I have homes that I own in different places. Tbilisi is a place that I like. Kuala Lumpur is, uh, Kuala Lumpur is a place that I like. And I think those are both hidden gems. I like to, uh, you know, summer in, in Montenegro. I'm, I'm acquiring some other properties now. I own other properties in places where I wouldn't live. Um, but I might get one or two other places because I think that the transition for me at this point in life is away from the travel and even away from the hotels. I spent over 170 nights in hotels last year. I spent over 100 nights with Starwood Hotels who, you know, quite frankly, even that, I don't know that they've treated me that well. And I just asked myself, you know, why not reinvest at this point? I've been fortunate through many businesses to to be successful. I'm going to invest in homes. And I understand it's not a strategy that everyone can copy, but I'm really getting away from the endless flights the 200 hotel nights a year and just getting into mastering a lesser number of locations in places where I dictate where I live. I decorate the way I want. I have the comforts that I want and I just you know live in total freedom. And I think that that's what I've discovered networking with people who are, you know, multi and mega millionaires, you know, the next step above the St. Regis is you just have lots of homes. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Congratulations. That's really cool. Um, can I just jump back maybe a little bit into, you know, growing up, where'd you grow up in the States? I grew up in, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, which is this kind of Americana, uh, certainly a place that I, I guess is, has not done as well. Uh, we were fortunate. We, we were, you know, my, my parents did all right for themselves. And, uh, uh, but, you know, I, I think it was very good to have that background. I mean, for, you know, my father grew up in central Ohio, this kind of uh, a rural area and said, I would never want to live there, but I'm glad I grew up there. And I don't like to live a life of regrets. I think that, um, well, I'm sure I could have been successful in many other places and I'm sure I wouldn't have had all the issues with the United States had I just born in Canada, 50 miles away. Uh, I guess I can say I'm, I was, I'm glad I'm from there because there are certain Midwestern values that are imparted to you uh, that you may have trouble with when you travel all around the world that other people don't have those values. But I think that having those values um, is a good thing to have. And so I'm, for that reason, I'm glad I'm from there. That's cool, man. What did, I mean, you have, you always had this keen sense of business and, and how the, the pieces move across the board or did you kind of study that? Did you go to university for like biz econ or something like that? You know, I, I I think that a lot of people can do this. I've always said business is the great equalizer. I mean, I look at people who have jobs and I say, I don't know how people do that because I'm sure I, I get fired on the third day. Hmm. Uh, I, I would, I, you know, I'd get in an argument with somebody or I just, I, I wouldn't be able to do it the way that in, in the, the corporate drone system, I've got a real problem in communicating with the corporate drone mentality. I think I'm just too honest. 
um, whether for, for positive or negative. Um, and so I think that a lot of people can do business. But for me, I think that the ability to succeed in different businesses, there's perhaps an intuition. Every business I've had, I've learned something new and I can go back and look at some of those lessons. So that's valuable. You know, you learn by doing. Um, and uh, I, I guess I, I guess there's a sense. I mean, studying this from 12 years old, making this your core focus. I think I'm just someone probably who. You know, if I focus my mind on doing something, I do it. And and people have told me, hey, if you focus more on learning more languages, uh, you could do that. You know, when I was focusing, you know, I started making, you know, Donald Trump impressions after Trump started running for president. Was it three years ago? Uh, you know, I, I, I just consumed all of this content and I just it just worked um, much to everyone's detriment. I was going around doing Trump impressions all the time. <laughs> but. Um, I think if I just focus on something, I pick it up. And so I think it's, again, a matter of focus. What you focus on, uh, you get. And so, you know, the people who want to run the two-hour-a-day business, um, that may work to create something for them. But, I, you know, I guess is is some, sometimes as, as little as I feel I actually put in, quote-unquote, work now, and most of my time is doing R&D and learning and researching and building, uh, I guess I'm probably thinking about work most of the time. Okay, that's cool, man. Are you, I mean, how many languages do you have under your belt at this point? I can't say that I'm super fluent in too many languages. I mean, I, I, I felt that I had passable Spanish, um, but I realized in Colombia last year, uh, more so than in Mexico, but someone in Mexico also, that my pronunciation was off, and that even though I knew the words, that different countries pronounce things differently, uh, which was an interesting kind of realization for me. Uh, and I've dabbled in a couple other languages, but uh, it was an interesting realization for me because so many people around the world say they speak English and then we communicate with them, perhaps in a lesser version than we would communicate amongst ourselves. But we still communicate pretty freely in English and often they don't understand. Uh, and I realized, yeah, I mean, do I really speak Spanish if people can't understand me? Do people at the hotel in Cambodia really speak English if they don't understand a native English speaker? I mean, I, I think that there's always room for improvement. Um, and so hopefully now that I'm a bit more settled in not 30 countries a year, but maybe six, seven, eight, uh, I can, I can work on that part of the equation now. That's cool. Yeah. Do you ever find, um, language barriers being an issue with all the various businesses that you do have going around the world? Not as much. I mean, again, my solution is I like to hire smart people. I like to have lawyers. I like to have people who are helping me. So I, I like to have a support system in place, um, Again, I mean, if you're just starting out, that may not always be possible. Um, so, you know, somebody who wanted to come to Georgia, for example, and start a property management company, yeah, I mean, they should come here. They should spend time here. They should probably learn as fluent of Georgian as possible to manage their staff. Um, for me, you know, I've always liked to be a connector. And I think having those connections of people who are not only competent, but who can help bridge the culture and the language gap at times has been helpful for me. Do you feel like there's a certain culture out there, a certain. Um people from a certain culture that you really enjoy doing business with, that they're kind of on the same wavelength as you, that you gravitate towards? Well, in my business at Nomad Capitalist, I've basically said I work with U.S., Australian, U.K., and Canadian citizens um, because I most understand them uh, and I understand their needs, especially U.S. citizens. Um, but really, if you're from any of those high-tax countries, you speak English, we have the same kind of culture generally, especially the U.S. and Australia are probably the big ones. Um, there's a bit of an emotion to it, let's be honest. I mean, compared to many, you know, mainland Europeans, Americans and, and Australians and, and Canadians are a bit more emotional. Um, 
so I, that's that's what I found that I like because I like to do business with people at least when I'm helping people um, that I understand. You know, the challenge when you go around the world is there's always um, there's always a learning curve. I was just meeting with a guy who I've been helping uh, recently. And I'm explaining all the different ways that property in this country and that country is different from investing in property in the United States and all of just the weird ways that things work. And at times you feel like this is kind of dumb. You know, you're trying not to make judgments, but at times you're, it's like, well, hold on. I just bought your house. Why do you get one month rent free? Um, you know, so I, I, I enjoy doing business and I enjoy making investments all around the world. But... <clears throat> I think that any way that you could possibly can to shorten that learning curve uh, is a good thing. And that's why I've built a network that can help me do that. And so for someone who wants to go and replicate what I've done, they can certainly go out and do it and, and replicate what I've done. Or, you know, I try and speed the process up for folks. Um, either way is OK. I'm pretty happy that I'm at where I'm at now where I'm no longer figuring stuff out. Yeah, that kind of yeah. I hear what you're saying. I was kind of guess getting more at the, you know, the people that you have networked with. For example, my curiosity lies in like, you know, when you are dealing with that Australian and you're trying to help them understand the various options that they do have, and you're like, who are you pulling in from your network to help them understand? Like, do you have a lawyer in you know Paris, and do you have a, rep- a cons- like somebody you can consult with in Dubai that you bring in? Like, is there a certain group of people that you've found to be the most resourceful for what you're trying to accomplish or is it just everywhere is unique and has a very specific set of people that utilize? Well, I think it's going and it's on the ground. You know, it's, it's like I said, it's R and D. Right. Um, so there are countries where I think are good fits for people for certain situations, whether it's getting a citizenship, becoming a tax resident, becoming a resident for future citizenship, you know, whatever, for tax purposes. I think people conflate those a lot of the time. I had someone who was an Australian guy who I had helped a while back. He's become a friend of mine, and he sent um, one of his friends over who wants some help. And he said, hey, Andrew, I'm thinking of um, you know, moving my business to such and such country for tax reasons. I said, well, why would you go there? He said, well, because you, you set my buddy up uh, with a residence there. I said, well, residents and company, they're not really the same thing, and, and your needs may be different because his business is physical and yours is consulting. So people tend to get things confused. So really my first step is let's have a plan of attack. Let's not involve any lawyers or any accountants until we have a plan of attack for how we're reducing the taxes, getting the passports, getting the residences, getting the investments, making that all work together. Um, so this is where, for me, the information gap uh, is is far too wide because people have this information and kind of misdiagnose things. Um, so I think that, you know, once we know where to go, uh, this is what I was traveling for for all these years is figuring out who works. You know, I'd go to a country, I'd hire five different lawyers. In some cases, four of them would stink. One would be phenomenal and we'd get a great result and we'd build a system. In some cases, they're all terrible. In some cases, they're all – some of them are good, but the law would change. So, I mean, it's kind of like a pharmaceutical company – um, developing a drug or, you know, a commercial real estate developer looking for deals. Um, most deals are not going to work. Most drugs are not going to be introduced to the market. Um, and, and that's kind of what I try and do because I enjoy it. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sent now this year, I'm sending one of my associates to about five different countries that are, you know, talking about kind of, you know, under-the-radar citizenship programs, under-the-radar in that they're not widely promoting them. They're going to put them in the law. 
um, and they're going to be legal, but they're not going to be widely promoted by everybody. And so out of those five, I imagine one or two will work. You know, that's just how it works. I mean, and, and so there's no great secret. It's just it's kind of just kind of touching your way through until it's until it works. Yeah, with this ever-changing kind of global climate, you know, and, and the amount of time it does take to get some of these citizenships and residency and so forth and so on, I mean, I can understand why you have to hedge your bets with multiple residencies and passports. Have there have you ever come across one that just kind of after you got it really went sour and it, it wasn't in your best interest to have it anymore? Like a passport, no, I don't for example? No, that's the case. I think that getting them is the challenge. I think that the global trend for what I would call T or B passports, passports that you can go to the, the EU with, but not the U S with. Um, I think that's really the wave of the future. I mean, I, I just look at some of the T or B passports that I follow. I mean, they just got numerous new visa free countries, um, last month, uh, or in the, in the last year. Um, and so I don't think that, that if, you know, I mean, if, if you go out and get a Rwandan passport, I guess you probably can't get, go much further south than you are. I suppose Venezuela is a passport that I think might have some problems in the coming year. Um, they, they have a pretty excellent passport, actually, considering their, their circumstances. So I suppose if I managed to get that, which I wouldn't because there's no real legal basis to do so, that might be an issue. But, you know, I think if you do proper planning – um, and you know what you're getting into. I, I don't expect any problems with, with obtaining passports. Um, I guess any country can certainly have problems. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see an issue with that. And, and you know, I, people have talked about I got a Comoros passport, you know, in, in Africa. Um, you know, I, I knew what I was getting into. It was an experiment. It was something that filled in some gaps for me in terms of travel. Um, those gaps will increasingly be filled by other passports now. But, um, you know, I never thought that that was a passport that you were going to give up your U.S. citizenship to have exclusively. Um, it, it served a purpose. And, um, you know, I think it's a matter of just knowing what you're getting into. And, and obviously that's what I try and, you know, advise people of. Yeah. And just so I'm, I can become a little bit more clear, like when you say land someplace and you utilize one of your passports and then you may cross a border into a new country, are you legally allowed to use a different passport to enter the new country? Or do you have to show that you are coming with a stamp from your old passport into the new country? You, right. So you're, you're saying if you're going from one country to the next. Correct. Yeah. So I say I land in Nicaragua with my U.S. passport and then I go to Costa Rica over the border and I give the Costa Rican side my, my French passport. Is that kosher? You know, generally, yes. I mean, so I've had uh, instances where I've been driving and obviously I mean, if you're flying, it's a it's a it's a bit easier situation. If you're driving, if you're doing land or sea, uh, I have had situations where one time where uh, I crossed over um, a border and they actually wanted to stamp the passport that I that I used to enter the last country rather than the country that I was a citizen of. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, I'm like, well, I have your passport. And they're like, no, but we, for some reason, I don't entirely understand why. They're like, we want to be able to stamp next to the exit stamp from, from where you just came from. Um, on the other hand, I was driving um, from Serbia through Croatia and then back into Bosnia, three different countries uh, last year. And uh, use different passports, and uh, you know they asked like, "What's going on?" You show them, and there was really not not an issue. So, I mean, to keep things as clean as possible is always good. Yeah. Um, and and I, I mean, flying I think makes that a little bit easier. But obviously, sometimes you're going by land. Um, that's how it works. Um, so, but I haven't seen any huge issues. Huge, huge issues with that. 
Yeah, I'm increasingly more interested with the double passport just because being here for so long and actually only ever residing here with a tourist visa. So I go I go to Costa Rica every three months. Um, and just recently, just with all the publicity Nicaragua has gotten, it's becoming increasingly more difficult. Like I'm being held at the border now for hours with multiple questions. You know, why are you coming in and out so much? You must be working here. You have to get your residency. And I mean, to be honest, I've never really wanted to get my residency. I've always kind of liked the freedom to come and go. And, and when you do have your residency in Nicaragua, you have to like check out with the country. You have to let them know you're leaving and when you're coming back. And it seems like a hassle. So I've never really gone through that process. But after talking to um, Chris Reynolds, he kind of informed me that I could even get uh, double U.S. passports under certain circumstances. I could have two. Did you ever employ that? I have had to use passports for for getting visa purposes. I mean, and I've heard people say that, and I I won't necessarily comment on that or whether that that works. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what what I see is kind of a trend is I do see a lot more visa free travel possibilities, but I also see people a bit more cracking down on the on the digital nomad lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I see people cracking down on visa runs. I mean, I, I believe the policy in Thailand. Uh, is if you're crossing by land, you're limited to a certain number of times doing that per year um, with most passports. So I think that the world is opening up. Um, that doesn't really benefit a U.S. citizen that much because the U.S. passport already gets you to most places. Um, but I think that the world is opening up for the rest of us. But I think people do want to know what's your story. I have been in Malaysia with someone who was pulled in and asked, um, what are you doing? And their explanation was, um, I run consulting firm on the internet and I don't have anybody I work with here and that seemed to satisfy them. Um, That was two years ago. I do think that with each passing year, more and more countries are trying to make sure that people are legitimate tourists. Uh, And I think that getting a residence permit is, is not a terrible thing to do. Again, I think that, you know, the challenge of go where you're treated best is sometimes the places that we personally like, i.e. a lot of people like Thailand and the nomad scene, Thailand is much less open to foreigners in my opinion than for example, Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people don't want to go where it's, they're treated best. They want to go, um, where they happen to like, you know, whatever it is about Bangkok or Chiang Mai, or in your case, maybe Nicaragua. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, there's going to be a bit more strictness. I've been saying this for a while, particularly on the tax side, there's, there's a need for more strictness for your planning. You can't just leave your country anymore and hope that, you know, to pay tax. I think that's increasingly difficult and coming to an end. And on the visa side, I think that visa runs could be could be challenged. But the good news is you've got lots of um, lots of residence opportunities, lots of passport opportunities. Uh, just just to answer your question, I mean, sure, I guess, um, you know, do people come and go on different passports? Yes. I don't know about the two U.S. passports uh, approach with the two different numbers. Uh, you know, I've uh, not I haven't lived anywhere, but I've come in out where I've alternated passports. If I was just there twice just to see what happens. But I also think that having too many different passport numbers in a system can also be a challenge for countries that are starting to track this stuff. I mean, it's the same name, same date of birth, same everything. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are wising, a lot of countries are wising up about that just because the passport number is different. Uh, I, I kind of had that implied to me, actually. I was in a country where I've now used three different passports and they kind of, they kind of mentioned that. Um, one of them I no longer have, of course, but um, I think countries are wising up as the long and short of it. No, absolutely. I mean, the border of Nicaragua has become 
increasingly more technologically savvy where they do actually have a computer that they punch in all your information. So I can imagine in the next three months of my next border run, they're going to have quite a few more questions because they have now all my information on, on the computer, which is whatever, you know, that's fine. Um, one more question for you, buddy. I was just like for, you know, my audience, for myself, for, you know, potential customers out there. Can you give us a, an idea of like when we do approach you to help us to kind of guide us to find that perfect formula um, and, you know, using your specialties, what, what can we expect? Is there like a flat fee or um, how, do, how, do you, how do you work with your clientele and how many clients do you take on per year? I mean, my approach is different because I like to spend most of my time doing this stuff. And, and quite frankly, I'd be out doing a lot of this stuff even if it weren't for Nomad Capitalist. Um, so I've said recently I've, re- I've reduced the number of folks to 40 a year. Um, and, and so that's what it is. It's four a month, and I'm, I'm going to take a couple months off. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you know, I mean, the process is you go to our website. You go to nomadcapitalist.com. You can click on the, on the green button, and there's, we have an application process that you go through. And it's designed to figure out, you know, who do I want to work with? Who can I help? Um, to me, I think that for both parties, it's important to have a very good fit. Um, so, you know, if someone is like, uh, you know, uh, a dyed in the wool, you know, anarchist, just, you know, I mean, that may not be the best fit for me. Who's trying to be a bit more pragmatic. Um, you know, obviously we want people who are cool to hang out with and it's nice to meet up with the people we help in, in person. So that's the application process. And if someone gets through that, then, um, you know, we're pretty selective, but we, we get on the phone and we talk and we figure out, you know, can I help this person? Um, and, and do I want to, and, um, you know, Hey, here, here's what's involved. I think that as I told you, um, the, the first step really needs to be having a plan of action because so many people in this space and in probably a lot of other spaces go out and they ready, fire, aim, mm-hmm. you know, I'm at, well, Andrew, I just set up a company in the Seychelles. But then I decided I would rather just work with you. So now I have this Seychelles company that I, I, I know you're probably going to tell me we can't use. You know, people just went out and they just said, I want to do something. So they set something up that doesn't really serve them where it's not a complete picture. And so that's what the first step. And I think that some people find that confusing because they're used to going out and paying some lawyer who says, I don't know the answer to your question, but for $5,000, I'll research it and I'll give you an answer. And I think people have kind of grown tired of that, at least if they've been doing research for a long time, because they get all these kind of half answers and they're kind of left putting their own plan together, combining different people's knowledge and people kind of recuse themselves from answering the tough questions. I mean, for me, knowing what to do is the most important part. Uh, And when we determine what when we go into that process, we don't exactly know what we're going to need to do. Um, And so I think that's what's different in my approach is. I'm not the Belize guy who always sells you Belize. I'm not the Malta guy who always sells you Malta. You know, it's got to be based on what you need uh, and, and kind of like going to a doctor. Um, and so there is no manual for it. There's no commoditization of it. But the reality is your situation is not a commodity. And, and that's what I found for me personally. I, I only do what I would want to have if I were the customer. Um that's kind of that Midwestern golden rule thing, I guess. And that may work for some and, and may not work for many. So, 
No, I like that about you, man. I mean, it really comes across in what you're, you give for free out there on the, on the YouTube and whatnot. And I like that approach where you really try to help your, your clients get what they really need and, and I guess hopefully what they really want out of their situations. Um, you know, you have your new book, Nomad Capitalist. A lot of people can learn a lot about you and what you do and, and the opportunity that they do have out there through that book. I'm assuming what you can get on Amazon. Is that correct? Yeah, go to Amazon, search for Nomad Capitalist, and, um, and we've got it. Well, cool, brother. Thank you, Andrew. It's been a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Um, hopefully, I get to have a cocktail with you somewhere in Malaysia at some point or even Georgia because both places sound tremendously intriguing to me. Always happy to be with you, man. Thanks, brother. Awesome, Andrew. Thank you again so much for your time. Looking forward to sharing some time in Mexico in the future when you hold your Nomad Capitalist Conference. Please, folks, remember, if you're a first-time listener, to hit subscribe on whatever you're listening to this on. If you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in one of two ways by heading over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and picking up a t-shirt or heading over to patreon.com backslash misfitsandrejects and leave a monthly donation. It's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. Thank you so much for joining me. I think you all are so very beautiful. And I'll see you next week's episode, Monday morning, 9 a.m. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.